me and you could talk forever. I'm I'm the science behind all this. I I, I study wood barrels and stuff like that. Location. Go down that road too, pal. Yeah, I mean, we, we might have to get another episode <laughs> because I know if my wife doesn't eat soon, she'll kill every damn one of us. <laughs> so Are you live? So, so, yeah, yeah, we're down. Yeah, we do oh, live, baby. All right, here. There's your cold open. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of BS and Bourbon, everybody. As always, I'm Bob, and I've got oh, James. As always, I'm Bob. You're always Bob? I am. Well, in flannel. Now, 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 what is your other alter ego? I need to know this. <laughs> well, Katie just called me the asshole, so. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> I call you dickhead. So, uh, and Robert, oh, Roberta Smalls. Roberta Smalls Roberta is an Smalls. alter ego, yeah. I'm still bigger than Acorn. Though. Didn't you have another one you called them earlier today, like oh, Vernon or? No, 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 no. I know what it was. Let me pull oh, yeah. it up right quick. Let me pull it up right quick. He doesn't quick. know what it is. He had to look it up on his phone. Conglomeration of, of, of fucked up conglomeration of shit. <laughs> that's Bob's new no, nickname. No, no, no. You had a different name for him that's today. Long, it was like, it was long like nickname. Jebediah or Vernon. Oh, or no, that's, like that. no, no, that's his long lost relative. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's, yeah. what, that's what you were talking about. Yeah, Jebediah Jethro Little. All right. <laughs> well, as, as y'all can tell, we've got Daniel here, Acorn. And up, uh, as, as somebody revs up an engine, you're going to hear some background noise today. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we're over here in uh, in Brazelton interviewing Greg Snyder with uh, Chicken Cock. Greg, how you doing, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm kind of concerned where this is going, actually. Yeah, yeah. Hey, no yeah. idea. He's already thinking this is a big mistake. Yeah, I better... I'll, I'll sit down with the mic in front of myself. Not at all. Let me tell you what, you, you're my kind of guy. I, I, you know, I, I love love life and, and love laughing and love whiskey so this is what it's all about tonight so. yeah but i see you're getting your resume together already <laughs> yeah yeah so what's going to happen he's like boys i can't record another show but i'll drink with you anytime anywhere <laughs> pretty much sums it up yes yeah. sir yeah. absolutely yeah. Uh, pr absolutely. department and hr said that, uh, <laughs> yeah we're not we're not worried about that stuff because uh he's hr and i'm pr <laughs> and uh we can't fire each other we're an, we're an essential worker for our business. I hear you. <laughs> yes. As I said, the industry I work in is essential, so that's uh, that's for sure. I've, I've been very lucky. So, so Greg, we're, we're honored to have you here with us tonight um, that's my as the master distiller of Chicken Cock. Let's talk about you, your some of your history, and uh, why you're drinking on uh, Russell's Man over there. Tell us yeah. about it. Well, uh, so... My history goes all the way back to 1978. Actually, I've been in this industry. I'm in my, my, my 43rd year now. Um, right out of college, I went to Indiana University, and, and I started with Seagram's in Louisville, Kentucky, 1978. And uh, it was a great training ground. Seagram's, um, at that time, if, if you were aggressive and, and wanted to learn and pick things up real quick, they kind of put you on a fast track and, and allowed you to move around. And, and within the five years that plant was open that I worked there, they eventually shut it down and consolidated operations since the whiskey industry was on the decline back in that day. Uh, but I gained exposure in every department within that facility from, from you know, the distillery dryer house making whiskey to the barrel warehouse filling barrels, putting barrels in the ricks, taking barrels out, dumping barrels, uh, gauging tanks, uh, filtering whiskey, processing, blending, uh, receiving, shipping, bottling, quality, maintenance, you name it. Every department. Uh, I was very fortunate. And that gave me a good foundation uh, for my whole career going forward. And I uh, was very fortunate. But uh, once they shut down, they wanted, they were going to actually had plans to move me to New York City, the corporate offices. And I said, thank you very much, but that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
So I took uh, the severance package. Uh, they paid for my education for one year, and I always had uh, in my goals to get my MBA. So in one year's time, I got my uh, my MBA, and, and Seagram's paid for every penny of it. So, wow. Yeah, that, that wasn't that wasn't easy. Right that, that was uh, <laughs> uh, that was a, a lot, but uh, got it done. And shortly thereafter, went to work for Brown Foreman. Right. Yeah. Uh, was yep. with Brown Foreman for a little over 12 years in, in a, a number of, of uh, increasing capacities, and and actually nine of the 12 years I managed their cooperage operations. I and, saw that, and I wanted to ask you some some questions about that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know it's interesting because people I worked with downtown Brown Foreman, they say, you know, man, why in the hell you want to go out there? I say it's hot, it's it's smoky, it's dirty, it's nasty, and it's like you step back a century in time. I mean the. the that, that type of manufacturing, you know, wasn't latest. There was no latest technology at that time. And uh, I told people, so, you know, I know how to make whiskey. I, I know how to, to age great whiskey. I know how to bottle great whiskey. I said, the barrel is such an important part, an integral part of, of the finished product. Yeah, I think I, I would love to learn as much as I can about, about the barrel. And so that gave me the opportunity. I mean, this man's going to get along. To go from a cooperage director to a master distiller, I can only imagine how you can start thinking in your mind about the different uh, chart levels and toast levels and different little fun things you can do with the barrel before the whiskey ever even gets there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, that, and that's kind of what, you know, what I'm enjoying about so much about life right now is I'm able to take my 43 years of experience and knowledge and focus it on the chicken cock brand and, and uh, we'll get into more detail in a little bit about what we're doing with it but it's it's really um, you know it's come full circle and I'm, I'm so pleased and, and proud of what we're doing and, and uh, thrilled with where, where it's headed so uh, but after Brown Foreman uh, I got an opportunity uh, to go to work for uh, Pernod Ricard owned uh, Wild Turkey at that time so I was vice president of Austin Nichols and the managing director of the Wild Turkey Distillery. So as my friends lovingly call me, I was a head turkey uh, at that time for a little over 10 years. Um, HTIC. HTIC. Would you be known? There you go. Would you be known as the head cock now? Uh, That's how you look at things, I guess. Uh, Some may say that. Some may not. Hey, I'm the head cock at my house. (laughs) I'm the head asshole. So, I mean. You get both ends of the side at this table. So, so, so you can, so you know how uh, our relationships go. I'm head cock. He's an asshole. So, oh, okay. You, you know, you know whose who's wife's happier. <laughs> I don't you think know, Diane over there is smiling at all. I, I'm going to leave that for y'all to debate, right? Now. Okay. So, uh, but anyhow, I, I worked there for a little over ten years, and, and it was great. Uh, Jimmy and Eddie Russell uh, both worked for me during that time frame, and and uh, worked for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was managing director. He was the boss man. Uh-huh. <laughs> look at that. But I'm going to tell you what, J- Jimmy, uh, there's no finer person in this world, and I, I love him to death. He's like a brother to me, and, and uh, as I tell people, I'd do anything with Jimmy Russell. I'd take a bullet for the man. I, I, I just think that much of him. And Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's the, truly the last of the, the real Mohicans when it comes to master distillers. Guys that grew up with, you know, corn dust under his fingernails, you know, and I've had the pleasure to work with and, and call dear friends, you know, guys like and Jimmy as well, Booker No and, and Elmer T. Lee and, and uh, Parker Beam and all those guys. We had so much fun when we get together uh, at, at certain events, the industry events, but just on the side, getting together and, and uh, sipping, sipping good bourbon and, and telling stories. And when those guys get telling stories, you just turn into a sponge and soak it all up, man. Parker's got some good stories too. Uh, I love, all of them do. All I love, of them, them, I love yeah. it when we go to Heaven Hill and we pick an Elijah Craig barrel or something like that because yeah. they got that one fellow there that loves. 
telling stories of groups that would come in and and Parker just mess with them. Yeah. You know, he would just Oh yeah. I get pencil shavings on the nose of this. What do you guys get? <laughs> you know, he'd say something like that off the wall. Well, just to have fun with. All them. those guys I just mentioned are big pranksters. So let me tell you, especially Jimmy. Jimmy loves nothing more than pull somebody's leg, man. He just uh, he has a ball with it. I I think I, I could fit right in. Absolutely. Next me time too. y'all have one of these meeting of the minds, I am only 7 hours away. If you call me, I'll make it in six. There you go. <laughs> and that'll be picking me up on the way to Yes. We'll team drive at James. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that, that, I, I would, I've heard stories about, you know, Jimmy going, uh, uh, what is it, Delilah's in New York? I heard a, mm-hmm. I heard a story yep. about. Delilah's, yeah. I mean, just, Michael Miller. Yeah, just, that, yeah. I mean, listening to his stories. <laughs> so, Greg, we're, I want to build into the things you're doing at Chicken Cock. Okay. So, let's talk about your time at the Cooperage. Okay. And, and some of the things you learned at the Cooperage and how that translated into the things you did at Wild Turkey okay, and with Wild Turkey and how they are translating into your current product lineup with Chicken Cock. Okay. So let me start with the Wild Turkey piece, and I'll go back to the Cooperage piece. When, when I started uh, at, at Wild Turkey, I think I told you earlier, Pernod Ricard owned it at that time. And I'll never forget my first day with the company. I, I was at, in New York City at their corporate offices. And a gentleman by the name of Terry Jackiot, a uh, Frenchman from, from the corporate office of Pernod, he was basically the president of the company. He reported directly to Patrick Ricard, who was the CEO. And I met uh, Mr. Jackiot, and he told me, he says, you know, we have a lot of things that need to be done at the distillery. And he says, you know, I expect that you were hired to get those done. And I said, yes, sir, that's my understanding. I want you to understand one thing, Mr. Snyder. He said, what, whatever you do, you do not change anything that with, with Jimmy's doing with the whiskey. Don't make any changes whatsoever. Yep. Amen. That's, so, that's good advice right there. It was. So we, we continued making the whiskey the same way we always made it, using the same barrels they always used and so forth. So um, I took that directive to heart, and, and that's kind of the, the, the mission I followed. As far as my experience in the Cooperage, I learned a lot, so much. I mean, going out there, you know, I was always on the distillation and bottling and, and you know, that side of the production fence. And it really opened my eyes. You know, I, I, I learned a long time ago, you don't go into a place new and, and acting like you know everything. And I didn't, because I, I, I didn't. I didn't know the first thing about making a barrel. I knew it was white oak, and I, I knew some of the things why white oak was used. But uh, one of the things that I, I take a lot of pride in, I tried every job on that floor, you know, from from joining staves to raising barrels to making heads uh you know every position in there you know i may have only done it a couple hours but but i wanted to experience and learn what it took and and appreciate how hard people work uh to, to make those barrels and, and so uh, i learned a lot with that and, and i learned from the people that i worked with you know i just again uh, when, when i realized when when People know more than I do, and that's when, like I said earlier, you turn into a sponge and, and you just soak up all the knowledge you can because uh, that's how you improve your, your own your own yeah. worth and your own knowledge. Right, so. right. absolutely. Yeah. I, I, hope but, that, I hope that's what Bob's doing for me is learning. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of spongy um, right he, now. He, he, he kind of spongy. I mean, you, you can see. Spongy or pudgy? Eh, about the same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, so... Um, so anyhow, how that relates back to chicken cock. You, missed, you, you skipped over one of the best parts about Russell Reserve. You, well, as you I told you. It. you got to talk about Russell well, Reserve I, and how great the Russell's man is. So, so I can go back there if you'd like. Scold the guest. That's, that's perfect, Bob. 
That's well, no, the way you, you treat me. I'll go down that road first, if you like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so because yeah. it has nothing to do with the barrels, actually. Because I told you, when, when I started at, at Wild Turkey, I got directive. You don't change anything as far as the production of the whiskey and, and the barrels and, and maturation. If so it ain't forth. broke, don't fix it. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's exactly the, the premise that they, they took. So not messing with it. Where did the idea for Russell Reserve Okay, come so what happened, I you started there in, in 1998. And um, when, I, when I started there, Pernod Ricard came to me in, in the first month and they said you know we think we got too much whiskey you would you mind taking a look at our inventory and let us know if we have too much whiskey and you probably did it 1998 1998 I, I looked at it I said well I'll tell you what before I can do that I need to know what your sales forecast are going out into the future and they came back and they said well figure two percent growth on all the wild turkey brands out for the next three years I said well that's great but you have some products that are 12 years old so I need to know what your sales forecast is all the way out to 12 years old. And they said, well, just figure 2% on all the brands out 12 years. And so what I did, I'd done this at other places I work. I, I built, it's a pretty simple Excel spreadsheet, but it, it's a distillation uh, liquidation model. And what it does, it, it takes your inventory by year and it takes into factor the yields you should have based on how old that whiskey is. You should have historically. This is what the yield should be. Angel and, share, all that kind exactly of stuff. from evaporation and angel share. Maybe so, a little extra sampling here and there. Uh-huh. Uh, that kind of leads to it too. Some of those honey barrels uh, kind of disappear quicker. But uh, I did that for them, and and basically it tells you how many proof gallons you should have available, and then you tie that into what your bottling needs are, and, and you see, okay, here's how, what I got, here's what I need, and then going forward, here's what I need to lay down so I have it in the future to meet these sales. And so, it, again, it's a simple model. So I did that, and I came back to him. I said, well, I said, the truth is you don't have too much whiskey, but you got too much older whiskey. And they said, well, how can that be? And I said, well, what happened, and, and like most companies in the industry, when, when the industry was sliding and declining, the finance people kind of took control and, and they said, you know, we got to cut cost here and there and there. So the finance guys in New York City were the ones that were dictating which barrels were being pulled out of the warehouse to dump. Wild not Turkey. J- not Jimmy. No, no. Really? No. The finance people. Because 101 was uh, uh, at that time was six and a half year old Wild Turkey whiskey. 101, Wild Turkey 101 was probably 75 to 80 percent of the total volume. So it by far the biggest lion's share of the volume. And what was happening six and a half, seven years ago when they laid that, you know, barreled that, that bourbon and laid it down, they laid down a heck of a lot more than what they were bottling today. And so next year would come around and the finance guys goes, well, I can't increase our component costs. You know, that seven-year-old now is, is too expensive. It's lost more in evaporation. And so, and we paid more in Avalorum, another year of Avalorum taxes. So it's more expensive. We can't increase our component costs. Well, guess what, Sherlock? <laughs> it's just going to sit there keep it's, doing yeah, the same thing. It's going to get older and older. And, and, and it's going to snowball. Exactly. And okay. so I told him, I said, you got to bite the bullet, guys. you got to start using that older whiskey, blending it with the, the six-and-a-half-year-old and the other brands, using some of the older stuff. Not in such a high percentage that you're going to change the taste profile, but you're going to have to start using it. Your component cost is going to go up a little bit, but that's just a part of biting the bullet, you know, making up for the sins that you guys have, have experienced for the last number of years. Right. Said so the second option you can do, you can try to sell aged bourbon on the, you know, on the open market. 1998, nobody was buying aged bourbon on the open market. Not now, like it is today. That's when, I guess at that time, did y'all have the split label 12-year, I guess, at Wild Turkey? We had a 12-year, yep, split label 12-year. Uh, uh, yeah, there was some still sold in, uh, domestically. But, uh, it was mostly going to Japan. A lot of it was going international. Yep, right. Exactly. Uh, but good, excellent bourbon. 
Excellent. Yeah, no, it, 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 <laughs> it, it rivals cheesy gold foil. There you yeah, go. It really does. There you go. Uh, but again, nobody was buying aged bourbon. So I said, the third option is, I said, we can come up with a new brand. And I said, and quite honestly, it's high time this company paid tribute to one of the greatest master sellers that ever walked this earth, and that's Jimmy Russell. And they all looked at me, and they had the marketing guys in there, some finance guys in, in, in the, the uh, top executive management. And they said, you know, that's a good idea. And they said, well, what, what should we call it? And I said, well, for lack of a better name, I said, uh, why don't you call it Russell's Reserve? And they said, yeah, that's got a nice ring to it. So that's how, and Jimmy didn't know any of this was happening, okay? Um, Back then, it was in the tall, the, the standard wild turkey bottle, and we bottled it at 101 proof. Yeah, yeah. That was the original uh, wild, I've seen a wild few turkey rustling around Reserve. on the internet. Yeah, I've still got a few at home, actually. So, but you need to uh, find out where you live to hang out. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> what, what was the address? What? Um, <laughs> write that down right Just here. Just fill up your truck full of money when you come, though. Okay. <laughs> we, we can do that too. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy, I need some money, Tommy. There you go. This but, is one uh, of those situations. <laughs> So anyhow, uh, to take the story further, I, you know, one day I said, you know, Jimmy, I said, the company's looking at it coming out with a new brand. Again, he didn't know anything about this. And I said, we got some great 10-year-old whiskeys, I recall, up on the fourth floor of B Warehouse. I said, you mind grabbing a sample at today sometime? And, and, and let's take a look at that and, and see what it tastes like. So yeah, sure, Greg, I'd be happy to. Well, that afternoon I, I had a meeting with, with the union and we were wrapping things up and, and I hear this knock on the door, you know, and, and uh, it's Jimmy. He opened the door. He said, Greg, you busy? I said, no, Jimmy, we're just wrapping up. Come on in. And he had this little snifter glass that he had pulled a sample. He said, here's that bourbon you wanted to sample from B Warehouse. And I said, yeah, great, bring it here. And I got it about a foot away from my nose, and the caramel and vanilla like to knock the head off my shoulders. It was amazing. And you got to know Jimmy. You know, Jimmy wouldn't cuss if he had a mouthful. You know, he just kind of did that little grin and nod, and he just kind of give that, you know, and I tasted it, and I said, whoa. And Jimmy goes, that's pretty good bourbon, isn't it? And I said, yes, sir, that is some awesome bourbon. And again, he didn't know we were doing it, so I worked with the marketing folks on the packaging and, and the, you know, the 101 proof and so forth. And then later on, at the appropriate time, we, we kind of made a little presentation and, and told Jimmy we were coming out with this new bourbon, and guess what? It's going to be called Russell's Reserve and tribute to, to the greatest master distiller that, that ever worked in this industry. And he was pretty pretty proud about that. Uh, you know, shed, probably shed a few tears, but it was, it was an amazing uh, amazing time and, and, and pure tribute to amazing guy. And, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to see what they've done with the brand and, and take it further. And you know, some of the barrel picks that they're doing, which is the one you got here tonight, is absolutely awesome. I was saying earlier, you know, it, it, it really, truly brings back memories of, of the first time I smelled that when Jimmy brought it in the room. I mean, it's just it's a caramel vanilla bomb, and it is awesome. Yeah, there's, there's very few barrel picks out there where you can say, I've never had a bad barrel. Yeah, pick of that. Yeah, as one of them's Russell Reserve. Yeah. No, I've I've tried some barrel picks as well from from other folks, and they, they they do a great job with it for sure. But no, and and I don't think I've ever had a chance to meet someone and talk to them. That's why I wanted to and hear the story about creating a brand that's as iconic as Russell Reserve. There's a lot of little brands that come and go, but Russell Reserve. I mean, it's it's a, it's a staple in the bourbon lineup. Sure. I mean, to the point now where I mean Daniel can barely get it half the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's highly sought after, yeah. and it's a, it's a great brand. So tell us how your Cooperage experience and your time at Wild Turkey and uh, all, all the things that you've uh, been able to do in, in the bourbon business and whiskey business has translated into the product sitting in front of us tonight. Okay, so 
for, for your listeners that aren't that familiar with the brand, the brand, you know, people, first thing, question I get when I do tastings is where in the hell did you come up with that name? And a, lot of, a lot of people have a lot of fun. As, well, as others have had fun tonight already. Uh, we, uh, with the name. Not gonna lie, but James, that's the same word. But uh, you know, 1856. The brand originated in 1856. It's older than Jack Daniels. Okay, uh, it's 100 years older than me. I was born in 1956, so it's 100 years older than I am. So, any rate, um, 1856, Paris, Kentucky. A gentleman by the name of James A. Miller actually started a distillery in the brand. And I can go into detail very long, but I'm just going to tell you there is so much neat history. If you read up on the brand, go to the website. It's got a lot of neat history, you know, pre-prohibition, during prohibition, post-prohibition. But long story short, the distillery burnt down in the 1950s. And the company that owned it at that time decided, you know, we're not going to rebuild. And the brand sat idle. And then long come 2012, and the founder of Grain and Barrel Spirits, Marty Antler, Marty had actually researched and wanted to find a, 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 a good whiskey brand that had a, a neat heritage and, and story behind it. And that's where he found Chicken Cock. And so he, uh, as most companies do with business strategy, he started out doing a, a Chicken Cock flavored whiskey in a metal bottle. And then they did a, a, a Chicken Cock bootlegger and chicken cock heritage and they were young whiskey you know he was he was sourcing whiskey putting in a bottle in the name to create cash flow and it served its purpose but what it didn't do it it didn't really help the quality image that chicken cock once had and so he had always had this vision of resurrecting it back to kentucky well in the summer of 2017 i decided to get out of the corporate rat race and i started my own consulting company so that's how i hooked up with the grain and barrel spirits they hired me at my consulting services i helped them with some of their supply chain stuff not only with with the, the whiskeys but also dixie vodka helped them with some operational issues and then uh, Marty shared his vision he always wanted to resurrect the brand back to kentucky and and bring it to its, its high quality prominence that it once had many many years ago and so uh, I said, yeah, we can do that, but we're going to stop bottling the heritage and bootlegger because, you know, although it served its purpose, it's not going to help our quality image if we're truly trying to get back to that image. And so he agreed. And so that's kind of how I got hooked up with these guys. And I started actually, one of the first things I did, I created a, a uh, partnership with Bardstown Bourbon Company. Okay. And so... They have a collaborative distillation program where we give them, I give them the mash bill. I also give them the work instructions for the time and temperatures, uh, you know, to cook the whiskey, the grains, and so forth. I give them the uh, specifications for fermentation, the beer chemistry specifications, the distillation specifications, and then I also select the barrels. And so that's where we're making our, our whiskey now. We're, um, we, we laid down our first barrels in, in August of 2018, some more in 2019, some more in 2020. And we just laid down another 1,000 barrels of uh, a bourbon and in a week and a half uh, week and a half we're going to lay down another 200 barrels of rye so so that's kind of where we're at right now in the meantime part of my responsibility to bridge the gap until ours is properly aged i go out and i try to locate good quality whiskey we can put under the chicken cock name and and again bring it up to that that quality reputation that it deserves and once had and and again trying to uh, to bridge that gap so it's a good point you said when it gets to the quality where it needs to be when it gets to that quality, is it going to stay under the chicken cock name? Absolutely. Okay. Because some people have made the decision the source twist is going to be one title under the brand, and then our own distillate's going to well, be another title. Well, we're working to get under- to the point where we don't have to source anymore, okay? True. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a transition period there, right. you know, to use up some of the inventory that we've got, existing in barreled inventory and so forth. 
So to tie back to your original question, and I'm, I'm kind of jumping around no, a little bit okay. here, Bob, so forgive me. So <laughs> we, all, we all have ADHD around here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how does the barrel and, and my, my experience in the cooperage industry come into play? So here's how that comes into play. Mention I got a consulting company. One of my initial consulting clients as well was a company called West Virginia Great Barrel Company. It's the guys that are uh, members at the uh, uh, Greenbrier in White right. Sulphur yeah, Springs. Yeah. Uh, if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. in, in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. And we are. Yeah. you got to understand that area. It's, it's in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains, and it's, yeah. it's pretty economically depressed. And one of the members of this group, uh, Tag Gallion, Tag is a co-founder of Smooth Ambler Distillery, mm-hmm. uh, in, in actually just outside of Lewisburg, uh, West Virginia. And Tag was talking to his friends there, and he said, you know, he said, you know, they kept talking, we need to create a business to generate jobs around here to help this community. And Tag was saying, well, you know, a couple years ago, I had a hard time getting barrels. And he said, my goodness, these Appalachian Mountains, we've got all kinds of white oak, and none of it's being used here domestically. It's all getting shipped overseas, you know. And so they started talking. Well, that's when they hired me to, to help them conduct a feasibility study to see if it made sense to start a cooperage. And at that time, you know, the bourbon industry was booming. Mm-hmm. And based on the information I was is. able to, it still is and hopefully will for some time. But when at that time, um, it showed that at the rate the industry was growing, that the cooperages with their existing capacity couldn't keep up with the keep demand. Up, yeah. So that kind of pushed them to go forward and build this cooperage. And I, I helped them. Uh, I also gave them some, some guidance on, on the, the equipment they need. Uh, the key thing with, with a cooperage is process control, okay? If you can control every step of the process, you're going to get more consistency in, in barrel to barrel, and that's going to show up in your whiskey. We talked earlier about single barrels can be so inconsistent, okay? Mm-hmm. Barrel to barrel to barrel. We're going to try to, to reduce that curve and get tighter as far as consistency, barrel to barrel to barrel. So for Chickencock, through that relationship, I went out there. I'd, I'd already spent a week, uh, March of 2019, uh, training their employees at the stave mill, teaching them how to quarter saw white oak, how to edge up the staves and heading, how to properly stack it, how to properly air dry it, and so forth. And then I went back the next month, the first week of April, did some retraining with some new employees and kind of see where they were at on the learning curve and, and do some additional training. The first week of May of 2019, I went out there and I personally selected the logs that we were going to use for chicken cock whiskey the next, the, the next year. And I went through probably over 500 logs. And I, and I didn't have to call out too many because that's part of the beauty of West Virginia and one of the reasons I picked West Virginia. Uh, when I was at Brown Foreman managing their cooperage, we source wood from you know the Minnesota, Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin area, all the way down through Missouri, down to Arkansas, you know, and all the way over into Pennsylvania and, and the, the Carolinas and everywhere in between is where white oak's grown. And one of the things I discovered when we did that, the West Virginia oak, you got those steep mountains, the steep Appalachian mountains. So 50% of the white oak that's growing on the, on the north-facing slope, it doesn't get the sunlight. That the south facing slope. So it's going to naturally grow slow just from lack of sunlight. The stuff on the south facing slope, that ground in those mountains is not fertile. It is rough and rocky as heck. And so what happens is just the terra firma promotes slow growth. Mm-hmm. So you're getting. Is that where you ex- get those tight grains? Exactly. That's what you want to try and achieve. And that's what I'm looking for is a very tight grain oak. Now, by industry standard, tight grain oak is 10 annual growth rings per inch. If you look at the end of a white oak log, you know, you see every year that tree and how old that tree is by the annual growth rings. Why is that important? By tight grain, you're getting a much higher density, a much higher concentration of the hemicellulose and lignin. There's three important components 
I think, I think James said it just moved. <laughs> I, I really, you said that, really. You said that word and it, it wiggled. <laughs> I, got, I got aroused. There you go. I, I love the woods. Okay. So we're, I studied We're going to geek you out a little bit, okay? Right, I'm good. Probably, I you may know happy. this already. This is the first time I've ever talked to someone with this much knowledge of the Okay. So, so other it. than oak lactones, there's uh, three primary components in white oak. And part of white, white oak, number one, if you quarter saw white oak, it won't leak. If you quarter saw red oak, it'll leak like a sieve because it doesn't contain a, a, a substance called tyloses. Tyloses is basically a membrane on the inner wall of the cells. And, and when you cut that tree or that tree goes through hardship, that, that membrane collapses and it clogs the cell. So when you quarter saw it, now when I say quarter saw, you take a white oak log and you cut it to a stave length or a heading length. And then you take that piece of log and you cut it in half. And then you take each half and you cut those in half. So you got four quarter bolts in that piece of, of log. Mm -hmm. If you look at the end, you not only see the annual growth rings in that end of that log, but you see little squiggly lines that run from the core of the tree all the way out to the sap. Those are called medullary rays. Okay, it's a, it's a vascular structure. That's how it's basically. made up. <laughs> it's, it's, that's how it's, real it's, made it's up. It's a tree's veins. Okay, that's where it's because you're up. a dumbass. I mean, <laughs> you ain't never heard of muscularity. Medullary, medullary, medullary veins. <laughs> medullary rays. I'm sorry <laughs> for the simpleton. I'm sorry. That's okay. So, so what happens is by quarter sawing, and you got four quarter bolts. So they'll cut an inch and a quarter off this side, and they'll flip that bolt. And you cut an inch and a quarter off this side, flip it back, cut a piece, flip it back, cut a piece until that bolt's gone. What that does, it keeps those medullary rays either horizontal or no more than 45 degrees through that wood from, from inside to outside. And so it's tight grain. That's what tight. If they keep cutting it off the same side, those medullary rays go vertical through that piece of wood and it opens up the grain. If you look at the top of a table and you see a real flowery grain, wide grain pattern, that's flat sawing. That's exactly what happens is, is those medullary rays go vertical and now all of a sudden you get that big, wide, flowery flat. You won't see that, that drain pattern on any barrel, will you? No. Yeah, exactly. So that's because it's quarter sawn. That means it's tight. So the other chemical composition I was talking about, it has cellulose, hemicellulose, and lignin. Cellulose is a, the primary cellular structure that makes white oak hard and strong, okay? It doesn't do anything for the, the flavor of the whiskey other than making the, the, the log real strong. Hemicellulose is where the polysaccharides is. It's, the, it's, it's wood sugars, basically. And when you build a barrel, you take the staves, and you, you build the staves, and then you bend them, and you put these temporary truss hoops on. You haven't put the heads in it yet. You haven't cut yeah. it yet. You haven't, haven't, uh, uh, you haven't done anything. Just build the barrel. When you toast that barrel, now I'm not talking about charring it. I'm talking about toasting it first. And that's what we're doing at Chicken Cock that's a little bit unique than, than a lot of people. We're giving it a long, deep penetrating toast ah the, uh, yes the toast from top to, to from top to bottom we, we've had an opportunity to taste some whiskeys that were aged in non-toasted barrels versus toasted and the toasted ones seem to shine big difference yes sir i'm glad to hear you say you're toasting. so so I what like happens that. is when that in that process and, and believe me probably 80 percent or more of the distilleries nowadays don't toast barrels. They buy barrels that are just charred and untoasted. And you're going to get some of that conversion on a thin layer just inside the char, but not the depth and full extent. So when you toast that barrel, it's just like taking, you know, the wood sugars back to the, the hemicellulose, taking sugar in a spoon and you hold it over a burner. What's it do? It starts melting and caramelizing. Right. That's where your caramel flavors are coming in that great bottle that we just tasted. Yeah. Okay? Likewise, when you heat that barrel up and you're toasting it and you're, you're driving that, that heat deep into the wood, the lignin gets converted into vanillin. 
and that's where the vanilla flavors are coming from. 60 to 70% of the flavor in a bottle of whiskey comes from that white oak barrel. Wow. And it's such an important part of the, the finished product. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's the forgotten about ingredient. It, it really is. I mean, and, everybody and a lot loves of distilleries the, know that. Yeah. But it's so much cheaper just to buy a charred barrel yeah. and toast it. Well, you know, I'm so glad we're we, you know we're not talking. I mean, because we talk to everyone about their mash bill, but you, we can go a little bit deeper beyond the mash bill and sure. talk about the barrel. Yeah. And it seems to me that you are just as passionate about your barrels as you are the distillate. Yeah. I love to be. it. If you truly want to make the best whiskey in, in the market has ever seen. You better pay attention to detail on every aspect. You know, not only from the whiskey that you make and, and the barrel it's put in, but all the way through the, the maturation, where it's matured and, and what type of warehouse it's matured in, um, you know, throughout the entire process. I mean, it, it, it's it, all those, you gotta pay attention to all those different components. And when they're right, and that's the beauty I'm loving. I, I, you know, with my 43 years of, of, of enjoyment in this industry and, and, and their experience and knowledge, I'm having the opportunity to focus all those those years of experience into to a brand now and able to have oversight from start to finish. Well, I cannot wait to have an opportunity to sit down with you when your stuff comes of age to taste oh, what yeah. you have put together. Because this product that we're tasting, and, and in the next episode, we're going to hear you speak a little bit about the different products. We're going to hear people's reception and reaction to the products currently available. But I cannot wait to see what you're putting in the barrel and to, to wait to see what you put out of a barrel. You me, you me both, pal, because I, I am so excited. What we land down, I, I taste it every six months, mm-hmm. what's sitting in the barrel. Now, I'm telling you what. When's the next six-month round coming up? Uh, actually, I'll be down there, uh, well, when I go down there next next week. Next uh, week? <laughs> I'm not uh, busy. Are you Mar- busy next week? Mar- March 7th, I'll be down there to, to make our next batch of, of rye whiskey, actually. And now, I is had it, is it aging samples. at Barstown? You're not gonna, you're, it's aging at Barstown as well. Awesome. You're not okay. going to be in Barstown around the end of March, are you? Uh, end of March, might might be. If you're going to be in town, let me we'll know. We'll be in town. Now, awesome. look at, look we'll at this there. big old boy. We'll, 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 we'll be at Lux Road, Mark. Buddy, I will slime a Rick with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Snyder. That's like me. You can't fit in between them Ricks too good. So. <laughs> but I'll slime Schneider. up them. <laughs> now, hush it, boy. Hush and, it, and boys. You know, you know, Rick houses can hold a lot of weight, Bob, but they still end up having a weight limit. <laughs> so, Mr. Snyder, I'm going to say Mr. Snyder because I say Mr. to people I respect. I, mean, I appreciate that, but don't. I'm, I'm do, you think, no. do you think that big old boy can do anything in a Rick house besides Besides, sit there. I could drink a good bit. I was going to say he might be a good sampler. That's good right. sampler. Yeah. I just yeah. want to see him tuck his knees to his chest, and you have the barrel kicker see how far they can roll him. Down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I want him to tie his shoes here in a minute, just so you can see him doing it. But um, so so they make fun of me, and I want you to I want you to chastise both of them. Oh, is that right? So they make fun of me. So I, I go and I look at the barrel, and I I'll actually pick which one I think is going to win in my head. And then sometimes I will write it down. Sure. I'm like, okay, so this barrel's like this, and it does this. This one stave is protruding in, or this one's protruding out more surface area of wood contact. And and they think, look at him. He <laughs> he thinks I'm full of shit. And I'm here to tell you, Mr. Snyder, he done agreed with me and said, y'all boys just need to get on my level. <laughs> no, 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 that ain't what he said at all. That's what I got. <laughs> hey, but hey, I, I appreciate the wood because I, I understand that stuff. Yeah, I guess we will. Um, I guess we'll wrap this up for now. Yeah, it's time it to eat some dinner. Real, real quick, before we yeah. do it, I, I think it's past time that you know we add a title to your name. All right, so you're Master Distiller Greg Snyder. Well, I think it's time we coin Master Aging. 
supervisor or master ager. How about that? Because, well, I mean, you know, everything you talk about, it, that's that's the hugest part of making bourbon. I mean, anybody can source some white dog, but if you really know what you're, what you're doing with your barrels or you don't, that determines whether you're going to have a really good product in the end or kind of a mediocre product in the end. Indeed, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, I tell people, you know, if you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, you know, as the old saying goes, if that whiskey's not good going in the barrel, it's not going to be good coming out. Okay, you, you I don't care how great that is. You ain't got a little white dog floating around here, do you? Uh, you know, I probably, I, if you guys come to Kentucky, I'll let you sample a little bit you, of what comes off the still. I go to a distillery. Absolutely, that's important. I love aspect. tasting the white dog. And, we, and that, that's a whole other show. I'm telling you, I can get into the, the, the distillery and, and, the, and the, the product and they what we're doing. And but I love to taste it right off the still. I'm going to impersonate Bob. When I get the white dog in my mouth, Mm, it tastes good. I know it's going to be good whiskey. I know it. it's going to well, be good whiskey. Well, the white whiskey. dog don't taste good. The whiskey ain't going to taste good. That's right. I like licking dogs' asses, too. <laughs> no, white dog got some, some white dog's got a good taste to it. Some white dog don't taste too now, good. Now, let me ask you a question. I have a – it's a theory. We all have theories. I think the harsher – I mean, there's still flavor there, but the harsher the white dog, on like to your tongue – the better it will age in a barrel. Have you seen that? So, uh, let me go there now. I don't know about the, necessarily the word harsher because you know Rough to be a bourbon. Well, it depends everybody's palate, I guess. But <laughs> you know, you guys probably are aware of, of the four primary criteria to be called a bourbon whiskey. You know, yeah, the, it has to be 51% corn and mash bill. Can't be distilled higher than 160 proof. Has to be aged in a new charred oak barrel and can't go into a barrel higher than 125 proof. That's the four primary to be a bourbon whiskey. Now. Uh, a lot of distilleries, they'll come off uh, the column still in, in the low wine at about a 130 proof and come off at, at the high wine about 140 proof. You know, you can go up to 160 proof and you can get more proof gallons per bushel of grain. But it's burnt. The problem with this is, is that you're stripping all the flavor. It's just like yeah. making vodka. You take it higher and you're making vodka. Okay, and and so you're losing all the flavor for our specifications. Eat that, Mike. It's all right. I about ate it. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're getting hungry. It. It's about time. I'm to eat. hungry. Yes, sir. Yeah. So what what happened was that uh, for our specifications, it comes off the low wine at 120, and then comes off the high wine at 130. Now that's by design. You know, when I started in the industry, there, there was a difference of philosophy in entry proof. Most companies put it in, you know, 100 to 110 proof. You know, Seagram's where I started, we put it in 105 proof. And the theory was dilute all the grain flavor, put it in the barrel, it picks up, you know, all those great flavors of, 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 from the barrel, and then you only have to dilute it so much to get it down to, to bottle proof. The, the converse side of that is that I come off the still at 130 because, to your point, James, I want that grain flavor. I want to taste yeah. the corn and the rye and the malted barley. I don't want to strip that flavor out. Right. And I want that going to barrel. So I'm barely diluting it to 125. So we're going in the barrel at 125, what the government allows you to by design. Because I want all those flavors. Because it creates such a great foundation for the flavor profile when you're starting. And then you give a time in that barrel. And when you fully toast that barrel right and you fully char that barrel, we use a number three level char after we toast it medium, medium plus. What that does, it's picking up all those great flavors. And as it, it, the heat of the summer comes up and it pushes it in the wood through that, that char layer, it's stripping that graininess flavor out and starting picking up all those great flavors. Basically what we're doing is we're optimizing the amount of flavor that that barrel has to offer. By, by toasting it and driving it deeper into the wood, it's got so much more flavor available to extract. And so that's the big difference with chicken cock and what we're doing going forward. And I sample it, like I said, every six months, 
I'm telling you what, what we got laid down right now is some fantastic bourbon. I just can't wait till it so comes. Are to you like age. pulling back a six month sample and holding it just for record? I keep I keep one, record one year, on it. Yep. yep. You know, I guess you're getting close to what the two year mark now. I'm sorry. You're getting close to the two year mark now. We've got some that uh, is two and a half years old and some that's two years old. Uh, and next month uh, we'll have some that's one years old. Yep. Like We're I said, I'm really, really excited Absolutely. to see what comes out. It's I'm getting a little loud in here. People yep. are getting hungry. Yep. So, but again, I, I know your big ass is getting hungry. Yeah, I'm getting hungry. By God, I'm hungry too, James. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'll hope uh, next time you're in Atlanta uh, or in the area, I'd like to get down with no background noise and just and cover do, wood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can and do we'll it, just man. talk about just cooperage. Yeah, absolutely. Either one cooperage because then we just scratch the surface on everything. Oh involved, yeah, definitely. With it, with, oh yeah, yeah. With the, the, the grains, the, the cooking, the distillation. You know, like I said the type of a warehouse it's aged in, the location of the warehouse. I mean, there's so many variables oh, yeah, yeah. that but, we haven't really. But but. Yeah. And everybody talks about that, but nobody gets into the science of the wood like you did. Airflow, temperature, humidity, you know, all that. Yeah, we haven't touched any of that. So, This has been great. It's been a great evening. Um, My pleasure. Like guys. I said, I've had uh, we're going to be sampling the products you have for us tonight, which are a uh, a bourbon that chicken is... Chicken cock, Kentucky straight bourbon. Yep. And then we have our chicken cock, Kentucky straight rye. Both and these nine. packages, you know, you see these these packages. These are actually replicas of pre-prohibition bottles that Chicken Cock was was bottled in years ago. Back then, it was a pint size, so we just increased mm-hmm. the size to seven fifty. But they're replicas of those bottles. And so. Jay's favorite, the fifteen-year-old. Oh yeah. Well, then that's uh, we're we're gonna have a little little treat for people tonight at this this dinner and tasting because no, it's, it's great. It's something something amazing. I appreciate y'all making the trek down to uh, Brazelton. We ain't gonna say Atlanta. We're gonna say Brazelton. We, we, we out here. Trek yeah, that's it. Out to Brazelton. This is gonna be. This is. It's like driving from Louisville to Bardstown. We out here. <laughs> yeah. Do you want now, me to uh, cover where you're at, or you want to do it? What's that? You want where, to cover where, can where you're find at? You. Okay. Um, so you can find him. It's Greg Snyder. I'm not gonna give you his email or his phone number. <laughs> 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 but uh, chickencockwhiskey.com. Are you on social media anywhere? Uh, I'm on Instagram. Instagram, yeah, okay. yeah. Usually, uh, CC Master Distiller. I think you can find me. Probably awesome. Steve awesome. Master Distiller. We'll uh, we'll follow you tonight and get going with it. But then uh, you can find us BS and Bourbon. BS A and D Bourbon ATL on the Instagram. BS ampersand Bourbon on, on Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> BS and Bourbon spell it out TikTok, and then we got a link tree somewhere. On everywhere. Yeah, and then Daniel, you can find him where. Barely man Dan underscore. Did you just pull your phone up to read it? <laughs> yeah, I did. He sure did. <laughs> I'm going to change it again to something We're I can remember. We're two months into this. It's still barely man Dan underscore. So then you can find us, you know, Cork and Keg, Brazelton on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find me at work all the time, y'all. All right. Well, let's eat, y'all. Yes. Good night. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you.